and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to 9 to 42, which is the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. And sporting what looks like a Nashville t-shirt, so we've changed our attire for the first time in a while. <laughs> My good friend Jace Hunter's on screen. Jace, how are you? I'm very good. I bought this t-shirt in Nashville. Of course so, you did. Of course I did. I went to Somanam a couple of years ago. And uh, my favourite clothes shop in the entire world is only in Nashville. Um, so rather than buy online, I actually went to the shop and spent an absolute fortune in there. Bought one of everything. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, you in multiple sizes. Did you plan for? Did you plan for, <laughs> for weight dieting, gain or weight loss? Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. No, no. There's no uh, point planning for weight loss. <laughs> you only plan for weight gain, don't you? Let's be honest. At our age, there's no point planning for weight loss. Yeah, thanks, mate. Well, um, no, it's true, isn't it? Yes, kind yeah. of. Yes. Um, so yeah, Imogen and Willie. Not that they'll be listening to this, but I bloody love that store. Imogen and Willie. Yeah. I don't know where to go with that. It's like in an old gas station. Obviously, it's Nashville. It's the most Americana kind of store you can possibly imagine. Brilliant. Oh, okay. And uh, our guest this evening um, is is Alistair Atkin, who is who is well. He's he's another grand fromage, isn't he? He is. He's a head honcho at Atkin Guitars. (laughs) Just don't call him a luthier. uh, (laughs) Is what I've learned so far. Uh, Evening, Alistair. How are you? I'm very good, thanks, chaps. Yeah, all all good. Nice to see your faces after such a long time. <laughs> oh god, yeah. I mean, I can't wait to run the next show and, and see people. It's been it's been really interesting that you know I came off furlough on the first of October because the furlough scheme ended, and then it's just been like a blitz of phoning people and emailing people and everything, and it's been absolutely brilliant. I was terrified on the first morning. I was like, it's been like nearly two years. Can I remember how to do this? Yeah. You know, and my office that I haven't been to in 18 months or something was like thick with dust and, <laughs> and everything. My computer hadn't been backed up for 538 days or something. It was just mental. Oh, so I, I'm yeah. really, really glad to be back at work, really, and and, and talking to the industry again. Hmm. Yeah, well, it looks like it's all sort of coming alive, alive again, doesn't it? And um I had a guy at the workshop today. Do you know Scott Matthews? Have you come across that guy? What, he's, the artist? He's, yeah, singer-songwriter. Um, I've got one of his albums. Yeah, yeah, he's brilliant. And he's mm. doing a gig just down the road here. Um, unfortunately, my wife's away, so I couldn't go to the gig, but I'm speaking to you instead. But um, he, he, he just started a tour, first time since it all kicked off. And then numbers for, for attendance are starting to look a bit better, you know. But people are emerging, aren't they? And uh, it's, it's yeah. kind of nice to see. Yeah, I because uh, I, I, I you know um, I work at Bin Birmingham, lecturing in event management and stuff, and like, the place is full of like really fascinating people. But a couple of them are artist managers, and I was talking to John, who's got one of his artists out on the road at the moment, and uh, her tour started with being sort of like three quarters full. But mm-hmm. as the tour has gone on, it's gone closer and closer to sold out at every venue, sort of yeah. thing. So, like yeah. you say. People are gradually getting used to it. I went to a gig last week in Leicester, which was brilliant. And, you know, I stood in a 
Well, it felt like a hundred cap venue with a hundred and fifty people in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's all it's all happening, isn't it? I just mm. see what we've got to see what's going to transpire over the next few months. But um, you know, it's just nice to see some actual real music happening again, isn't it? And mm. and and you know, as nice as Zoom is, watching a concert on Zoom does not really cut it, does it? Um, no. So you know, it's uh, yeah. Yeah. I've not I've not managed to get to a gig as yet. Um though I'm a huge Marillion fan and I'm due to Ooh. go to see Marillion. Uh, oh great. I interviewed um Steve Rothery recently. Oh did you really? Yeah, for, for, I've got it in the sort of uh, in the wood for a, if I start podcasting again. And I I'm oh I'm a massive Marillion fan and uh, Oh dear god. I'm just going to go. leave <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, get get out Jason. <laughs> right. Come well, on out. Let's let's have well, a Marillion well, off. <laughs> well, here's here's my here's my oh. thing that you probably don't know then. Oh. So the other podcast I do is with yeah. Steve Hogarth who's their lead singer. Oh, wow. Okay. Fantastic. And, that, and that's the other one I, that's the other one I do. So when I'm not doing this and I'm not doing my my day job, I'm 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 with H doing the oh. Corona Diaries. Oh really? So, uh, oh, yes, that's interesting. So yeah, uh, and and we've put out. We're just, in fact, after we finish this, I need to go out for a walk to listen to what will be number seventy-eight for us. I'll have to check that out. Which goes out. You can't, I can't believe you're not a Corona Diaries well, listener. Do you know what? I'm I'm a, a little bit out of the loop because if I if I'm truly honest, I got into Marillion in, in about nineteen eighty-three. Oh right, and, the beginning. Uh, yeah, and and I sort of. I mean, I was 10. Can you imagine a 10-year-old now getting into Marillion? <laughs> uh, I don't know. We're uh, starting to explain a lot. But anyway, yeah. carry on. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, 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 I just adore everything, you know, Fish, everything Fish did. I got really into, um, was it Season's End? Yes. And then Holidays in Eden. Holidays in Eden, um, yes. And, and then my musical sort of interests changed a bit. I got into, like, Crosby, Stills and Nash. Right and and the Meridian and and my other my main love which is Rush <laughs> fell off the um, fell off the perch really for a while so I missed out on a lot of everything that came after Season's End so um, oh yeah. I'll, t- I'll take you through that well we, we, after yeah. this is all done I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. point you in the direction of a few bits and we can and you, yeah. you you might quite like the podcast actually but we've I'm had sure I will. we've had Rothers on here haven't we uh, we have he's had um, I think he, he, he's either first or second biggest that episode download sort of thing hey brilliant. Um, it's probably tied with um ginger wildheart in terms of uh Who's he? They, they both have like really passionate fan bases mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean they're they what they invented i'm sure you were talking about crowdfunding in that uh podcast but, I've, um, I've done an episode with h on crowdfunding yeah yeah uh, and that whole crowdfunding story which is an incredible story and, and it is they, they've still never got the recognition for um, because they Inventing are, they it. are, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean. Pretty much everybody does say they did invent it. In fact, they've done something similar. While we're on the subject of tours, only this last couple of weeks, because they're about to go out on the road, obviously, yeah. and they realised that if one of them went down with COVID, they're in the hole for about one hundred and fifty to two hundred grand in terms mm. of all the things they've booked, all the crew, all the things they need to pay for. So they've crowdfunded the insurance. Oh right, okay. Because there's no insurance company at the moment for rock and roll that will do that will tour that will cover a tour in case one of the band members comes down with COVID. Is there not? Because no. didn't didn't um, one of Genesis Genesis go down yes. with, 
Yes, but because you see, Phil Collins can just bankroll that, can't he? Well, that's the point. You see, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, those guys will wander home, look down the back of the sofa, and find <laughs> enough cash just to just to keep the whole thing going. But I, I kind, I kind of feel that the likes of those guys still wouldn't put their hand in their pocket. I don't know <laughs> because Marillion managed their, their own affairs. There'll be somebody with Genesis making money yeah. off that tour. Yeah. So, yeah. so that person will have taken that risk. Yeah. But for the bands who were doing it all themselves, there is no, there's no comeback. So what they did was they they asked, they went to the fans and said, "Look, we need we need 150 grand." What we'll do is if you pledge it, we'll give you a load of stuff for free. We'll put the money in escrow, and then if we don't need it, you just get the money back at the end. Yeah, that's a brilliant... Uh, I mean, cut the. we should all be doing that, shouldn't we? we? With, well, cut the insurance companies out. <laughs> well, they, they raised... They got to £110,000 in three days. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Wow. You know, which, yeah. is, which is... But it does make you realise... Um, it does make you realise that... Through all of it, I mean the, the big the big issue is still streaming. That's the big hole in the whole model now for artists mm, because mm. the rest of the stuff via that model is actually doable. Yeah, it's streaming yeah. that's the big hole in this. Yeah, um, do you get the feeling one day someone's going to flick a switch and work out how to get that back? I don't well, did know. Did you see that um, this week? This week that um, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Deezer, whatever had put forward their payment plans for artists for the next five years going forward. Right. And they've actually reduced oh. the payments they're going to give the artists. It's like, <laughs> read the room, people. Everybody's yeah. disgusted at this. It's, it's incredible. Now, the, the other thing that I find interesting is, you know, like Audible. Yeah. I don't know if you guys subscribe to Audible, but th- that thing you would have thought would get ripped off Mercy, mercy, mercy! I can't say the word. I think you know the word. I, like I mean, that. yes. Um, but but um, it doesn't, you know. And and those authors are making money from that. Mm. And but so I don't see why it's different. Maybe I'm being uh, a bit naive. But I don't it, think there was probably the same control of the back catalogues. Mm. I think it's mm. just coming down to. I think it's just coming down to ownership. And I think that. I think the thing there now is that the smart money is on those people who. I mean, who just was it? Was it Cher or no? Tina Turner just sold her catalogue, didn't mm. she? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's and a few people have done it for you know. <clears throat> Bob Dylan did it for what yeah. forty million or something, yeah. didn't he? But yeah. then at that point, you just like it's well, okay. If I don't get anything from streaming, it doesn't matter because I've actually just monetized my back catalogue far more than I, I, you yeah. know, I would have expected to earn in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just it's just all it's completely tied up, isn't it? They've 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 done the thing that they needed to do, which is they've just kept the 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 material, just mm. the lion's share of the material um, yeah. cash. And it and it doesn't make a, a lot of it doesn't make a lot of sense at all. But I th- I, I'm sure I heard this week that the CMA are now investigating right. um, yeah. this. So this could you know because it should be legislated against. That, yeah. That's the only way it's going to get uh, put right. But hmm. anyway, back to you. All oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just talk about Marillion? For yeah, we, we oh. can. Can for me. Can for me. Oh. I'm, I'm no problem doing that. But um, uh, no. Um, so. You're based in Canterbury. Yeah. You build a range of uh, a range of guitars. Uh, I'm right in saying predominantly acoustic. Yeah, I mean, it, until very recently, totally acoustic. And um, so we we build steel string acoustics. We we have a range of about uh, I'm guessing, but it's between fifteen and twenty models that we make. And 
we're like any typical sort of um, production uh, guitar company. We do variations with all of those models. Uh, but we, what we're predominantly known for is doing, we were the first people to build acoustic guitars with an aged finish. Um, and that's what's become massive for us mm. to the point where we don't do any new guitars at all anymore. Um, so yeah, that, that sort of, it went bang and that was a complete accident really. I never intended that to happen. It was just after a sort of a, a literal accident on a guitar. I thought, well, I'll knock this one around a bit and see if anyone's interested. And, uh, it's it sold within, you know, minutes of being on the website. Uh, so I thought I'd put another one on and, uh, and that sold very quickly. And then this whole thing started to roll and, uh, yeah, that was probably sort of 10 years ago bear in mind we've been going for 26 years now so the last 10 years it's just gone crazy yeah i think that was the first thing i'd written down i mean you started in 95 yeah you're not an old chap now how I'm, I was, young were you i was two when i started <laughs> <laughs> that, so i i um now i'm i'm 48 now so uh, yeah, I, what, what, you do the math. Um, no, I was born in seventy three, so it would have been twenty one, twenty two when I started the company, and uh, I'd gone to the London School of Furniture where all the best luthiers have been. Like uh, <laughs> Andy Manson was there at one mm. point, and um, uh, then more recently Patrick Eggle um, and John Lavoy and I'm. There's lots that I'm not mentioning, but yeah, the, um, so that was the place where you, you could learn something in this country without having to work for somebody because you couldn't find a job with any, anybody to make yeah. guitars, you know. Um, and yeah, so since, yeah, 95, when I left college, I just went straight out and, you know, tried to make guitars and uh, uphill battle, but... So, you know, like any of us, when you're into something, it's not difficult to do something you love. Even if you're, you're making no money, you find a way of pursuing it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what, what happened there. In which case, then, I'm going to have to jump in, Jason. I'm, so, I'm really sorry. Um, you must dye that hair, then. I do, yeah. This is just I, I can. I've got a sponsorship deal. Uh, <laughs> that's why I've turned the lights down low. You're, you've got your lights up far too high. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's a bit of Clooney going on here. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not right for a 48 year old to have that hair color. It's all Cronenberg. <laughs> keep, 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 keeps everything stable. You know. Oh damn! Yeah. Red wine doesn't work. After no, 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 no. It's far too dangerous. I've been yeah. working hard at it, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not playing out. Oh, Jace, that's 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 just not fair. Well, I, I know. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm going off this I, one. Uh, I, I mean, I've got less grey than you, and I am older than you. Uh, just well, how old are you guys? Uh, I, t- well, I turned fifty on. this year. I turned fifty. 50. This year. Yeah. Whoa, biggie. And, and, and I am fifty-two next week. Fifty-two. So we're all similar age, aren't we? Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, I'm obviously the young, yeah. pretty one. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's, uh, yeah. So hitting the five O is a bit of a... Uh, we Occasionally, we sort of look at this in the workshop. We're all... Most of us are in our 40s. I've got one guy that works for me who who I went to school with, and he's a couple of years older than me. He was in my brother's year. And 
and you think, Christ, it, you think 20 years ago, we all probably met each other getting on for 20 years ago at one of these guitar shows or something. Mm. We think another 20 years, bloody 70. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, so uh, you've got to make it sort of, uh, you've got to make it happen, haven't you now? Yeah, I, I think if I think back now, because I did meet you about somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago doing music live at the NEC. Yeah. And, and you look back now and you go, we were all so young. Yeah. Just... I was petrified. I drove to Birmingham by myself. <laughs> <laughs> I stayed in the most horrible B&B in, oh my God, it was, I could hear fighting all night long, you know, and... <laughs> And I was petrified, and I wasn't cut out for that world, but I knew that I had to go to something like that mm. to, to sort of try and find out my place in, you know, work out how the business worked. But um, and the lovely thing is that we, we all would, you know, you'd only meet up once a year with some people, and but, like, you get to know a bunch of people, and the ones who've stuck it out, we all end up seeing each other mm. and, you know... We can mostly remember each other's name because it usually ends up in a load of beers in a bar, <laughs> oh, doesn't it? And always or and curry if you're in Birmingham, and uh, <laughs> of course, yeah, and and you know it's um, it's a good crack, and uh, I think it's um, you know it's 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 good that we're all still at it. Mm. Yeah, Birmingham's it not changed. I mean, the, the point is, all that happens now is we can afford hotels with thicker walls. I know, yeah. isn't it lovely? Just, just can't hear it anymore. It's still going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I stayed in the Holiday Inn last time I was there. I Bloody couldn't believe hell. my luck. Yeah, Bloody hell, little soaps and everything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh. So, oh, to try and force this back on track before okay, we sorry. veer off towards another Marillion or Rush <laughs> angle or something. <laughs> So, so what got you? What got you interested in in making guitars? Because it's not. It's really funny because we were talking to Jonathan from Feline, and I think he also mm-hmm. went to the same place as, right. as you. Yeah, uh, and um, maybe a couple of years ahead of you, sort of thing. But like you say, loads of people I know have actually come out of there. Yeah. So I'm assuming that you started there when you were like seventeen, eighteen, something like that. Well, I made a guitar at col- at school, so uh, in CDT. And oh, CDT, craft design and technology. It was, it's, is it called DT now or, oh, yeah. or something it's, else? It's, yeah. and, and it's ridiculous because you get six, sevens and eights. It's all wrong. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, I, I don't understand. But it, it, at the time, you could do a... So for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's like a, a course for the special boys <laughs> who, aren't, who aren't very academic, uh, but they need something. And bear in mind, I went to a private school as well, so... You've got these kind of people like me who whose parents are paying for you to go through school, and they're thinking these lads aren't the sharpest tools in the you know, <laughs> and uh, and so they'd they'd sort of go, well, there's pottery, you can do uh, CDT and business studies, and so you'd do things like that, and and so we'd do a, an A level and GCSE in those things, and I I got to make a guitar, which. At the time, I, I knew nothing really about guitars, it, uh, making them, but I'd, I'd had a Fender Squire. I remember buying it and taking it apart, you know, just sort of like, like stripped down a gun and taking every bit yeah. apart and then putting it back together again. For some reason, that fascinated me, how that all, all worked. So, um, yeah, it, it started there, made one at school. And there was a guy locally to me who I doubt you guys will have heard of, but his, his name's Andy Crockett. 
Um, he's a he's a repairer in our area in right. Kent. Most people would take their guitars to him, and um, he's also a really good arch top maker. Um, but he's pretty lazy, so he never really pushed himself in that sort of as much as he should have done for that. But I I shared a workshop with him after leaving college, and he was able to sort of help me. This is obviously pre internet as well so you know all that information that we can just find at a touch of a button now is it was was not out there it was all in a book or something like that mm. you'd have M- melvin hiscock's guitar making book or, yes. or um the sloan book and so uh, most of that information you're trying to glean from pictures and sort of reading a little article or something and um yeah it just sort of started like that and i Another thing that happened was my my dad died the year I left school, and I was really I had a very hard time with that, and it hit me in a way that I had couldn't comprehend bereavement. Yeah, uh, that, that I'd never you know I think my gran had died, but at that point it really sort of um, I, I went really into myself, and guitar making came along at the right time because it gave me a, a load of. Um, it, it was the perfect tonic for for feeling shit. <laughs> you know, it was. It, it, I could get lost in it for hours, and my mind wasn't on on the. It, it wasn't. It was only on guitar making. You know, so I, I spent five years just completely lost in guitar making, and and I didn't really go anywhere. And so that was like university at that point. Uh, this was after college. Yeah. Um, yes, and and that was. It was all consuming. Which is what I needed, and I think anyone who who becomes good at something, you know, they talk about this. What is it? Ten thousand hours to become a professional, but invariably it's much more than that. And you you live and breathe it, and uh, you, you your smarts come from sort of trial and error and making mistakes and you know ballsing stuff up and uh, having the time and the space to do that is, I think, what really. Um, Gives you that that sort of edge. I I, um, I was thinking while you were talking, I, I came up with a clever line, so I'm going to try and use it. Okay. Um, but most, <laughs> most will be the judge of that. Well, <laughs> I was going to say most most kids who go to private school and aren't very academic end up in the cabinet, not building cabinets. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. It wasn't that kind of school. Right. But to be <laughs> we fair, we could have Ryan, ended up in Pink Floyd, maybe. I don't know. Although they, they, they probably, yeah. I know. Well, I've got the perfect comeback. <laughs> it wasn't ended up in the cabinet. Ended up as a cabinet maker. Yeah. Well, I said that, Jake. That was that was oh, what okay. his joke was. Yeah. Thanks for explaining it to, to, the, to, to whatever percentage of our listeners didn't get it. Thanks for clearly. Uh, clearly, I'm not listening to you. Yeah. In fact, I'll tell you who was at my school. Um, the class below me, Orlando Bloom, was in my Ooh, school. Oh, Yeah, yeah. So I, I used to sort of knock around with people like that. And there was there was a few other people who've sort of since gone on to do things. And, and so you could see the sort of, you know, it's a bunch of airy-fairy kind of mm. um, long-haired Lego lasses running, yeah. <laughs> running around the place. So, yeah, it, it was kind of a... It was a good school because they encouraged people to to do things that they they were into you know um yeah so that's what got me started making guitars and then so, uh, yeah so kept it, going. i mean you look at your sort of like range of guitars now 
Uh, and firstly, I need to ask where the naming came from. Mm-hmm. Um, because they they all follow the same pattern, don't they? The thirty seven, yeah, the forty five, and I mean, when I started, we didn't have any of that, and um, it it kind of uh, we had what did I just have the O M, the Dreadnought, or the Rosewood O M, the Mahogany O M, and then uh, there were people that I I used to sort of, well, for example, you'd get reviews, you know, mm. so so, and then I always made sure that I spoke to those reviewers and tried to get some feedback about what they really thought about it. You know, they'd you'd be able to have a telephone conversation. Um, Jerry, do you remember Jerry Ewins? I do, yeah. Yeah, Jerry was great because he lived near us here and he used to come to the workshop and he'd sort of give me a few pointers as to what he thought and he'd been in the business for a long time back then anyway. And uh, I'd sort of ask lots of questions to people and then what happened was this numbering thing, I when I started doing the aged guitars... I thought, well, I'd make a D28, and uh, and I made a D28, and I called it the D28. And then, because those things became more and more popular, I'd find we were making quite a lot of these, and then they'd go into shops. Anyway, one day, a dossier arrives <laughs> from Martin <laughs> <laughs> with, uh, right, cease and desist letters, you know, you can't do this, can't do that. And it's like, oh, shit. And... Uh, I, I spoke to various other makers and um, and kind of... Have you ever had anything from Martin? Yeah, yeah, we've had that. Yeah, have you ever had anything? Yeah, I've had that. And it's, I soon realised that, that Martin were really good about all this, to be honest. They 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 acknowledged that I was using their name um, for, you know, 28. And, yep. and they acknowledged that we were using their headstock Um and they said that they owned that headstock. Now, I don't believe they can own that headstock, but they said they did. And But they said, we don't mind you using our headstock. We don't mind you using any of the shapes. You just can't use our names. And I was like, totally fair enough. You know, it, it was more just that I'd started using it because I didn't know what else to call it. So at that point, we started naming the guitars after the perfect era right. of that of that guitar. So... The 28 became the 37, widely acknowledged the 30s Martins were some of the best. Um, and then um, the, the our big seller is the J43, which is a, a, a sort of a sloped shoulder dreadnought. Uh, the names you can't mention. <laughs> <laughs> because we're not sure what that lot are really up to, are we, at any time? No. Uh, no. <laughs> so... Uh, um, yeah, so it's um, yeah, that's how it really evolved, and then then we've got our own sort of models. We've got one called the nineteen, which we we sort of designed in two thousand and nineteen, and yeah, so that's that's how it's kind of rolled, really. So, so where do you um, have you got a stash of um, sort of like classic old guitars kicking around that uh, you, you kind of have? I suppose metaphorically pulled apart rather than actually pulled apart because well, you're not no, mad. We have we have um what what we had which was so good and we we were incredibly lucky. Do you know um replay acoustics? Have you guys come yeah, across yeah. Tony yeah. Winecki down in uh, Seven Oaks? Well he would bring all of his guitars over to the workshop to be repaired. 
Now, Tony Winecki is is a, an American guy from, I think he's from New York State. He was actually at Woodstock, which is kind of cool. Wow. And, um, and he's a lovely guy. If anyone sort of replay, I think it's replayacoustics.com. Um, and uh, he's, at times, has had some of the best examples of those guitars that in the country mm. uh, uh, for sale. And he'd bring them over, he'd bring every era of guitar over for neck resets and, you know, bridges coming off, retopping. So we'd see everything. Andy was doing a lot of that work. So, you know, literally inside with calipers, measuring everything, checking the thickness of tops and backs, sides, um, seeing the shape of bracing and all that geeky stuff that yeah. that you you kind of need to know about if you're going into this world. So we were able to really get on top of that in such a cool way, and and I was just all over that when I, I saw it as a this is like highbrow hardcore stuff. This won't happen very often, so make sure you get this information now. And and I put that a lot of those sort of practices into my own guitar making just because I, I was always a massive fan of Crosby, Stills and Nash and Neil Young and mm. Stephen Stills's guitar. Uh, was one of my favourite sounds, as is Joni Mitchell's guitar, you know, like the recorded sound of those instruments sounds incredible. And I would pick up some of those guitars. I remember picking up a 1954 D28. And this doesn't happen, I don't think, very often. I picked it up and actually did sound like Stephen Stills. <laughs> it was no. like, whoa! That, you know, I played 4 and 20 or, you know, some some of that stuff and, and it, I could hear it in the guitar. Mm. So, so that, I've, and I hadn't come across that in that way before. So I, I thought, right, this is the time to get this information. And yeah, we've been sort of developing that um, whenever we get the chance. We're all over old vintage instruments, as are most people, you know, the Collings guys and yeah, um, you know um, Santa Cruz. Um, yeah, it's, it's just it just it confuses me because I, I obviously I've got my Nashville T-shirt on. It reminds me I went to um, Carter Vintage. Oh yeah, when, yeah, yeah. And um, I was with the guys from Guitar Magazine and um, Chris. Oh, so he, Chris, yeah, he he loves it there, doesn't he? Yeah, Chris Vinicom. Yeah, he was interviewing Gruen. Yeah, uh, so I was sat with Joe, the ad guy. And uh, we got nothing to do while this like interview's going on. So, but we're in like the most amazing guitar shop. Yeah. And um, so we were sat because it's it's kind of fifty fifty, I think, electric acoustic. But we were sat in the acoustic section, and I've got a J forty five at home, and I pick up this nineteen fifty three fifty four J forty five that sounds absolutely nothing like the J forty five I've got at home. But mm. sounds like the greatest acoustic guitar you have ever heard. Yeah, and you're like, they know how to do this. They've got the plans, and I know I'm aware that some of it is the element that it's an old guitar and it's been worn in and blah blah blah. But it didn't sound anything to the point where I got home and I actually sold my J45. Yeah, um, yeah. because it just it's, didn't do it for me. It's such a common tale that, and. Um... It's such a sad state of affairs that, that, I mean, Gibson, in my opinion, are the greatest guitar company there is. You mm. know, when you look what they made, 
you know, whether it's mandolins, banjos, arch tops, electric guitars, acoustic guitars, all the weird shit in between. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know that you still see something uh, it will turn up on Instagram. You go, what bloody hell? They made one of those, and you know, lap steels and and uh, all all of that stuff, and the knowledge that that they had, and and the. The design team, and uh, you know, so they've got this incredible back catalogue, and yet, you know, it's got to have been driven by money, hasn't it? That they mm. they have decided that, you know, or, or it's gone to a point where they can't come back, yeah. and and really, in an ideal world, you would take that company, and and you would sort of shut the door and go, what don't we need here? Get rid of all that stuff we don't need, and bring out the stuff we do need, and mm. and you know concentrate on that because they should be making um, the the best guitars in the world, but yeah. unfortunately it's it's not happening yet. You know, uh, I do believe they've got better over the last couple of years or so. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's a common story, isn't it? That people. You know, a little bit disappointed in in those classic modern instruments. Um, yeah. You know, the the modern versions of them. But yeah, so I mean that exactly. That's when you actually play those instruments, and they must have some of these instruments around. You'd have thought you, themselves. Well, would, I mean, given the fact that they're based in Nashville anyway, it's not like they're, they're <laughs> hard to find. You know, <laughs> you know, Rumble Seat Ruins. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're all there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but on on the, another note, uh, was quite interesting. Is Martin? I think do have a, a much sort of um, more interest in mm. getting back to their roots, and they they spend a lot of time trying to achieve what they had achieved back then. Um, yeah. I've heard um, stories of people walking into the Martin factory, and they've seen our guitars on the bench apart. You know, and it's quite that's quite a sort of weird sort of position to be in isn't it I, i've sold i sold one of our white rice instruments to the custom shop at martin <laughs> and, did, it, did it come through on an invoice like, you know did you invoice martin guitar no, company well, it was what it, what it was the guy the guy from the, the custom shop emailed me and he didn't use his email address from martin and when it came to the point yeah he I said, where are you in the States? And he said, I'm in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. So I'm like, right, that sounds interesting. And and I, I spoke to him on the phone. I said, look, they must realise that when we send these guitars out to places like that, you've got to look after them because your winters are mental, you know. And he was like, yeah, no, I know all about that. <laughs> I was going, all right. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, do you, are you in guitar business? Said, yeah, I'm the head of custom shop at Martin. <laughs> and and so, yeah, they were kind of, um, and they were very nice. You know, they was, uh, it was, it was all very encouraging. And uh, I've, I'm always interested to see what they're up to. Yeah. Yeah, I played a D35 not long ago. And it was just, the biggest sounding acoustic guitar I'd ever heard in my life. It was just insane. Yeah, yeah. What era was that then? Was I, I don't know. It was the second hand one. It was just right. in the shop. Um, yeah. And uh, I'd actually gone to, so I got rid of the J45 and I've always wanted a hummingbird. 
Mm. Um, mainly because, a, a, a bit like you sort of thing, like the sound of the Rolling Stones is Keith Richards' Hummingbird, as far yeah, as I'm concerned. Yeah. And I'm fairly certain it's not on every track, but in my head, that's the sound <laughs> of Keith Richards on an acoustic guitar. Yeah. And uh, it was a long process of going around the shops in Birmingham, like PMT, Guitar Guitar, and so on, and, and playing Hummingbirds and not, and actually going, they're all right. But for that kind of money, I want more than they're mm. all right. And in the end, uh, like PMT got so frustrated with me, they sent some in from all of their other shops in the UK. <laughs> and um, we, I, which I, I'm fairly certain not everybody gets that kind of treatment, but I've known Gaz, who was at PMT at the time, for like 30 years or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so having played about eight or ten of these things, I finally found one that actually sounded like the sound in my head. Yeah, Brilliant. Which, interestingly enough, was a model that had been left in PMT Northampton or something, and it was it was like a year older than all the others. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I think it's a 2015 one or something. Yeah, um, it's just beautiful. Now, yeah, I mean, it's like a. I look at their, their those sorts of companies, and their hit rate is not what it should be, mm. and and um, I guess it's like anything really. Once it gets so big. It, I feel like the Rolling Stones, if you take that analogy, you know, they haven't had a hit for <laughs> how many years? But they're, they're, they're able to keep... I mean, they're, they're different because they are, you know, still amazing. Mm. I, I think they are anyway. But, um, you know, the, the, but the, they, the, the guitar companies have lost something, haven't they? And, and you'll try 10 of the same model and one of them might stand out to you. And that always seemed wrong, wrong to me. Yeah, it's got to be higher than that. So that's what we try and do. And and I I always say the analogy: if you're throwing a dart into a dartboard, we're getting to the ball, you know, uh, it or or the next one out. Sort out of, of ball. you know, yeah, not, you know, ninety five percent of the time it's in there. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't think we ever make a bad guitar. When you when you look at that, what you just said there, and and where we start the conversation of. It does. I'm thinking now of Epiphone and Squire, and how mm-hmm. I'm far more pleasantly surprised on a regular basis by Epiphone or Squire than I ever am by Fender or Gibson. Mm. And whether there's a freedom in having a, a something at that perceived point in that that allows you to to do interesting things. And come up with. I mean, I you know, I, I keep looking at these classic vibe tellies that just mm. look fantastic. Yeah, and yeah, and and yeah. Any time I pick up a Fender now, I'm, I'm invariably disappointed. It's odd, isn't it? And and I just can only put it down to the fact they're doing too many of them, mm. and you know, the the world is becoming full of where do all these things go? You know, yeah. there's it's it's insane, isn't it? And I don't know how many they're turning over a year, but I've, I mean, there's been talk of companies like Taylor turning over a hundred thousand guitars a year. Wow! And you know, I, I don't know if that is right, but um, and then you put all of those, you know, uh, Martin maybe in the same ballpark. God knows what Fender actually turn out from all of their guitars, but mm. it's got to be. You know, hundreds of thousands of guitars a year, isn't it? Well, and then you start to think about someone like Yamaha and think, right, well, yeah. well, well what, yeah. what must Yamaha oh. be shifting? 
Well, I, I believe the biggest guitar company in the world is the guys who make... Um, oh, it's, oh, the guitar show. Uh, uh, what were they called? Chinese. Um, Court. Court, yes. Court are the biggest guitar company in the world. Yes. Um, which is interesting, isn't it? Most people, or a lot of people who li- are listening to this may never have even heard of Court. Um and and yet they're the biggest. So, yeah, the numbers that that some of these guys are doing is immense. Mm. Yeah, but then I mean, you look at the custom shop Fender stuff, and some of that's pretty nice, but it's bloody expensive, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite interesting. Maybe they're just going with the fact that if you build a decent Squire or a decent Epiphone, that within three years you'll sell a standard. Yeah. And in reality, you'll sell the standard anyway. It doesn't matter if the standard's not very good, because you've, you've, the introduction to the brand was actually the, was actually the Epi, or the Squire. Yeah. And then if they're disappointed in the standard, they'll work their way up to a custom shop. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all a... Yeah. And it might so, be a very I'm, cynical I'm... model, which is why yeah. you're constantly disappointed by the stuff that, in, you know, that theoretically is a grand to 1,500 quid a pop. Hmm. Yeah, I mean those those um, Mexican um, road worn guitars yeah. are fantastic, aren't they? Yeah, I don't know how much they are. They're three or four hundred. They, quid don't, or they something. don't do them anymore, but they're now going for about nine hundred quid mm. second hand. Are they? Yeah. yeah, and I mean typically the early the early squires. I think actually I think Stephen Rothery plays an he early does. squire. He, he's had a yeah. number and, of early squires. Yeah, he's got the and big I mean, headstock ones. Yeah, I I had those. They are better. Well, the Japanese strats and tellies were um, amazing, weren't they? The eighties ones. So yeah, um, the Silver Series is that what it was called? I can't. Silver remember, Series to be was honest. later. Um, that would that would. But the Silver Series were were, were 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 really good. But I mean, I got my first my my Japanese Squire strat, which I should never have sold, was an eighty six, and that was brilliant. Yeah. And I should never have sold that. Rothers ones are a bit earlier. Rather, a yeah. back in the sort of the JV period, aren't they? Um, yeah, that's the era. Yeah, the JV and David Gilmore used a lot of those JV mm. strats, didn't he? Mm. On on the Pink Floyd stuff. No, they were they're um, absolutely superb. I mean, Rothers Rothers still still uses those all the time. Yeah, and, and I think now it's either those or he uses uh, Blade. Blade. Yeah. We're getting back on to Meridian. We are getting back. On, well, you see, the other thing is, because I said to you there's going to be a fanboy moment in this podcast before right. we went on, and it isn't Marillion, because I didn't know about oh, right. Marillion Link. Yeah, um, well, I I've never made anything from Marillion yet. No, so, so, that's, so it's not a, a Marillion thing. But I was reading through your list of art, and it's an incredibly impressive list of artists, uh, including the fact that Terry Britton's in there, which is really interesting. Yeah. Oh, what a nice chap Terry is. Um, well, that, that we could go off on. I'm not going to fanboy on that because I've fanboyed on a previous podcast about Terry Britton. Uh, we did that with uh, uh, Matt from Monty's. Yeah. Because Matt had made some pickups for him. Oh, uh, right. And then we oh, had good. to do the whole. Have you not listened to Cliff Richard? No, oh, I haven't. Devil Woman. Oh, what a track. Uh, yeah, what a track. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. Anyway, what a riff. Anyway, no, my fanboy moment is I think for me, the most influential artist I've listened to in the past. Possibly twenty years, but certainly ten to fifteen, is mm-hmm. Richard Hawley. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I was I was having a little chat with Richard on Monday. <laughs> where it, he's uh, now, where I got in touch with Richard 
No, I didn't. He got in touch with me because he was on tour with a girl called Kate Walsh about 15 years ago. I don't know if you remember her. She she had a song called Your Song, which wasn't the Elton John one. Mm. But she knocked Take That off the number one slot with it. And she went on tour and she ended up supporting Richard Hawley. And she was a friend of mine and she had... Um, one of it had two or three of our guitars, and Richard tried them and and loved them, and so he uh, he called up and and started ordering guitars, um, and I'd a, a friend of mine um, had gotten really into Richard, and he said, oh, "I love Richard Hawley," and I'd never really listened to him to be honest, and I I thought well, I'd better check him out, and I bought it's Cole's Corner I think was the first one I bought yeah that's the one the one most people got into yeah it was the big breakthrough one wasn't it and um I I was I love do you know the ocean on that yeah blinding track isn't it shivers down the backbone and um yeah and then and then we sort of struck up a bit of a friendship and I I he, he asked me to bring some guitars he was playing on the Jules Hollands later with Jules Hollands and um I brought some guitars up to that and he used one on that show. And anyway, we start, then he started to order guitars and he invited us to a concert at the Royal Albert Hall because I'd never heard him play live. I didn't really know much of his stuff and I watched him play. And oh, it was astonishing live. Incredible. I was knocked out. I just couldn't believe how good it was. And a real tone meister mm. as well. That, that Everything that they play... Uh, is played on really nice mm. gear, and you know the amps are amazing. The, all the space in the music, brilliant. The presence he has when he's on stage—you can hear—you can hear a pin drop when he has, he's on stage. There's, there's, there's mm. not a sound anywhere. He has absolute control of the room because the sound is just—and his voice, yeah—it's just yeah, absolutely it. unbelievable. I mean, I think I think True Love's Gutter, which is the album, not the one after Cole's Corner, the one after that. I, yeah. I think it's as good an album as 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 has been produced. Full stop. And the textures well, and the tone is is just phenomenal. Uh, yeah, our, our guitars are all over that album. And if you look on the sleeve notes, it mentions our guitars on the on every track. But um, do you know that song "White Lines" on that? Uh, yes. It's, right. So I dropped a guitar up. To Richard, he was at Polydor record, uh, record Company. And he was just about to meet up with, um, oh, what's Elvis's daughter's name? Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie, because he yeah. did some stuff with her, didn't he? That's right, he was producing her album. And um, he was like, hey kid, come in here, I'm going to play you this track. And he sat me down in like the big room where they listen to stuff. And he played that White Lines mm. song. And it's like about eight minutes long. And uh, and before he started, he goes, your your guitar is all over this. And uh, I was like, okay, right. I sat down. I, I was just like, oh, shit. This is insane. Oh, it was just, and it's the coolest sound. Oh. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I was blown away by it. It was a really lovely moment, you know, one of those things that you sort of cherish and think, did that really happen? Oh, it, <laughs> it's he's, really good. It's just... Yeah. He's just, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know how you can't be blown away with it if you, if, if you spend any time with his material because it's just unbelievable. But the, the, 
authenticity and sincerity in what he does. I mean, I'm. I mean, Sheffield's my city. I live near Sheffield. It's, oh, yeah, is I'm, it? Oh, yeah. And, and, and yeah. the only downside with Richard is is a is a Wednesdayite. Um, right. you know, and, I'm, and I'm a season ticket holder at Bramall Lane. But um, <laughs> but you know, it's just the fact that that's where he is. And if you if you want to work with him, that's where you have to go. You know, he, yeah. he doesn't. He's he's just he's a Sheffield lad. He'll never be anything. Any difference? No, and all those albums are named after it. areas of Sheffield. Yeah. So all those, yeah. you know, all those. Um, yeah, uh, if, you, if you go from Low Edges onwards, which is the second one, the first one's called Late Night Final, which was the which is what they used to call the, the Star newspaper, and then everything mm-hmm. after that, they're all places in Sheffield. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. I, that is genuinely exciting, and I'm going to dig that album yeah. sleeve out now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's lovely. So we're making another. We we do this work for this Buddy Holly Foundation. Right. I don't know if you guys have seen that. But yeah. So so they're they're based actually in um, in Leeds, the Buddy Holly Foundation, and it's 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 run by a dad and a son. The dad is sort of in his seventies, and um, uh, Pete, they're both called Peter Bradley Junior and Senior, and. Uh, but they're incredibly passionate about Buddy Holly, and they they commission us to build guitars for artists. And these artists end up sort of doing um, quite a lot of charitable work to to raise money for hospitals and all sorts of stuff. So it's, but yeah, they asked us to build a guitar for Richard for that. So I, I ended up I haven't spoken to Richard for ten years, and uh, I, I know his manager a little bit, and we I called him up. On Monday, and we admit, he he said, "Look, I'll get Richard to give you a call about this. He'll love this." And um, yeah, we were on the phone for about two or three hours, so having a little drink at the same time, it was quite fun. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's super chat, really, really good, bloody good songwriter. Mm. Yeah, oh, top drop. I, I mean that that awards um, the Buddy Holly thing is he's just mental though, isn't it? Because like <clears throat> you go on your website and there's Paul McCartney and Robert Plant with him. I know, like, yeah, yeah, I know it's. Bonkers, and um, you, you, when when they called me for the first time, I I actually thought it was a bit of a hoaxy thing, and you kind of go, oh yes, will you make a couple of guitars uh, for Buddy Holly Foundation? I'm thinking, we all meet people in this industry, and they say things, and you think, yeah, not sure about that. That sounds a bit odd, <laughs> and but they were the real deal, and uh, yeah, they they ended up because we're based here, and we make a, a really you know one. Of, I like to think one of the best versions of of Buddy's acoustic guitar. Um, they they use us for for a lot of the artists. Um, so yeah, we've we've done some amazing things. Yeah, really proud of some of that. So uh, the eighty five. We have to ah, talk about the eighty five. Ah, yeah, I know that was. Um, yeah, that. <laughs> so that that started off as as a. Um, an April Fool's gag, and and we in the workshop. So the, there's ten of us who work in there, and we're all a bunch of geeky weirdos, and and we we all enjoy. I think we enjoy each other's company. So, you know, it's just a much like we would be doing, uh, just making up shit. Shit, <laughs> shit. Talk, you know, in, in a in a pub, just talking about weird things that you can get up to. So, we we thought. I've got this. There's two guys who work there: Lawrence, who came to the Birmingham show, and and an, another guy does most of our finishing, um, called Phil Meakin, and and he he's like in his 
mid-twenties, or he was when he started working for me. But he's really into the power strat. And, <laughs> and, you know, and that was his world. He went to my college a, lot, a long time after me. And, and he, he started showing us some drawings of stuff that he was working on. And I was just like, oh, we have to make this. This is perfect. And so we, we started t- taking apart what we wanted out of this. And it, we just, it had to be as pointy a headstock as you can get, you know. And, and so we thought we'd do it for an April Fool's gag. And we, we, I don't think we were going to make them to start with. I think we sort of thought we'd tr- do the, draw, you know, drawings and, and yeah. you can doctor stuff up, can't you? And, uh, but then we thought, oh, come on, we've got to make one. Let's do it. And then when you make one of anything, you have to make two because one might balls up, you know, so you've got to have a backup. And, uh, and yeah, and we, we made them and they, we, we released them in, on, on um, April Fool's Day and I managed to keep it completely silent. And uh, it was the biggest coverage we've got for anything. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, did, we did all the, you know, Lawrence is a great guitar player. Lawrence Locke, his name is he. He's... Um, a really cool guitar player. He used to be a guitar teacher, but he plays every style. But he's really good at that sort of Eddie Van Halen stuff, you know. And uh, so he, he, we recorded just a couple of videos on the iPhone, and it went all around the world. And it went, it appeared in all the big magazines, sort of online. And they, have you noticed they do a roundup every year of the uh, April Fools gag yeah, yeah. stuff? And I'd never noticed that before, but we got in all of those as well. So this guitar ended up being. And no one believed it had actually been made. Uh, even when they saw the video, they still didn't believe it was real. And and so um, we've we we thought, well, we've got to make some of these. So it's it's on our so on our list to make them. Uh, and we've we're sort of we've got a a we we're, we're just at the moment developing a, a little bit of an electric side of what we're doing with some other sort of key guitars as well but i like the fact that it really is the exact opposite of what we're known for for uh, acoustic guitars which is why it's fun isn't it i think it's brilliant i think it's brilliant hats off to you for doing it as well yeah yeah so but i like stuff that people would talk about you know it's uh yeah you meet someone at a show and they just laugh won't it (laughs) (laughs) so you're gonna put that in the acoustic hall yeah. Next to all of these. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In a glass case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. So uh, yeah, we'll watch this space. Next next year, we'll probably be um, a few a few electric uh, models will be uh, bouncing out. Excellent. Cool. Yeah. Exclusive there, Ant. Yep. Another yeah. one. Another one. <laughs> well, when I say yeah. another one, the second one we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're not. But I don't, yeah. Yeah, we, we we had an exclusive with Bernard Butler. Oh, uh, really? And um, we finished the podcast, and like we, we say goodbye, goodbye, and like obviously we just kind of hang around afterwards, like chatting amongst ourselves. Yeah. And Bernard went, "Yeah, I don't think I was supposed to tell you <laughs> that." Let me find out. So, like two days later, I get an email going. You cannot put this podcast. Oh, out. oh, right. So we yeah. had to, we had to wait about eight weeks yeah, or we something, did. didn't we, before we could yeah. actually put it out? Yeah, we did. That's that's a nice thing to get. Um, did he do? Was it was he Lamont and yes. Butler? Was you it Butler? Yeah, Butler. yeah. Uh, yeah, not Norman <laughs> Lamont and uh, <laughs> Bernard Butler. Yeah, Bernard Butler. Yeah. Bloody good duo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. How bad must your vocals be if, you, if you're quite happy to have Norman Lamont? Yeah. I don't knock Norman Lamont. Yeah. Um, we should probably explain, because this is listened to in 22 countries now, that really? Norman Lamont was a Tory MP from the 80s and 90s. He was a Chancellor. He was our Chancellor, wasn't he? Yeah. In, was he Chancellor in uh, John, John Major's, Major's time yes. or Maggie's? Yeah. Was he end of Maggie's time Yes, as because well? Major was Maggie's Chancellor at the end. Oh, right, there you go. So when yeah. he vacated yeah. the space, that's when uh, Norm, yeah. Norm jumped in. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, he's a bloody good artist for all <laughs> yes. those people in... Yes. Uh... And of course, the great thing about Norman Lamont was he was he was already his own spitting image puppet <laughs> before he even started. Yeah. He looked like his own yeah. spitting image puppet. So, uh, he did, yeah. That's, that, that was, that's always handy. All those old Tory politicians did. We, we need to say thank you to Alistair, obviously, because it's been an absolute joy and privilege, but we mustn't forget to say thank you to Focusrite. No, no. Thank you to Focusrite, and this is, as always, made using a Scarlett 2i2. Um, and, Alistair, you not, might not know this, but Focusrite very kindly sponsor the podcast, and they're just, they're just lovely. They're just really lovely because they don't ask us to do anything, and they don't constantly want things dropping in, and they don't need anything corporate. They're just quite happy just to uh, say, yeah, we, we, can we put a name on it? Fantastic. Like, yeah. Oh, well. They said, uh, can we sponsor your podcast? And I went, there's a good chance we'll take the piss. And they went, that's all right. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay. Brilliant. <laughs> but they are, they are lovely. <laughs> so anyway, Alistair, thank you very much. We will catch you next time. Uh, yeah. But uh, super lovely to have you on and, and uh, you know, really, uh, really fascinating stuff. Well, uh, thanks, lads. It's been a lot of fun. I'll see you in Birmingham, hopefully, this February. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, thank guys. You. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production.